Uh, we are kind of doing something different the beginning of this year. Don't know how long it will last, I guess, until you guys write enough comment cards saying you're sick of it, then we'll, I guess, reconsider. Uh, hopefully before then, God redirects us. But instead of doing a typical sermon series where we you know, do something for four or five weeks, we're really kind of going through um, our culture. And which is our vision and our purpose in who God says we are. And so um, our vision is people living their identity and purpose in Christ. That's you. That's me. And it's our hope that it's every person that comes through the door that we get arrested by God's love for us. We shake off our own past mistakes and the lies that have been spoken over us. And we realize our identity in who God says we are, and we can stand in confidence in that, but that we don't just sit there. It's kind of like the joy of our salvation as we sing about how great he is, that we don't just receive the gift, but then never actually go and tell him how amazing the gift is, but that we're overcome, and that's where we begin to step into our purpose, which is what God has called us to do, how we walk it out, how we live it on a day-to-day basis. So that's everything, as you heard uh, last Sunday's Lanny's message kind of came out of the be with God. That is us spending time with God. We're challenging each other in spending more time with God, not just for 14 days, not just for 30 days. How do we change our lifestyle where you and I are in his presence more? Where on a daily basis, we look different than we did the day before. Jonathan Owens, who's a, uh, one of the church planters out of City Harvest in Coeur d'Alene, he used to kind of do a little slogan, you're somewhere in the future, and you look much better than you do right now. You're somewhere in the future, and you look much better than you do right now. Now, we aren't going to look much better than we do right now. We can have faith for it unless we actually spend time with God. Yesterday, I decided to work out. I got on the elliptical, did a mile, took me 30 minutes, really sad. I used to do, um, there's a a hero wad called Murph, Uh, it's named after Michael Murphy, and you run a mile, you do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and then you run a mile. And uh, so I used to try to do like a quarter or a half, like try to do, my goal was always to do a half every Saturday and at least three times a week do the quarter. Well, if you look at me, I obviously haven't been doing that in quite a long time. And uh, so yesterday I go out, I do this elliptical and um, takes me forever to do the mile. And then I was able to pull off an eighth Murph. Um, So that was sad. And then I came in and I told Tamar like late last night, I'm like, you know, it's crazy. I feel like I used to when I would have done a full Murph. Like, I was just like, yeah, I'm doing this. And I woke up even this morning a little sore. But um, there was no no reason to be proud of it. Here's the deal, though. I don't look much better right now than I used to, but it's because I haven't been spending time exercising, and I haven't been doing that. So like the same thing in our faith, if we're somewhere in the future and we want to look much better than we do right now, we have to. We have to. It's not a discussion. It is a must. We have to be with Father. Spend time. We have to read the word like it's alive. We have to 
have times where we just fall on our knees in our home and begin just to thank him. Sing our own song. If he gave you a terrible voice, give it right back to him. And if he doesn't like it, then he can change it. But until he chooses to change it, you just keep lifting up your voice to him. Go on a walk. Have a conversation with him. Go on a drive with no one else in the car. Talk to him like he's there. Be honest with your frustrations. Be honest with your dreams. Be honest with your fears. Be honest with your passions. And then do what none of us are good at. Stop talking and listen. And see what he does. He might come with peace. He might come with direction. He might come in a song and just say, I want to lift your spirit. But we do it by being with him. We fast. We give something up so that we can spend more time with him in that way. All right, because we're going to be somewhere in the future and we're going to look much better than we do right now. Okay, we're going to go with Jesus on mission. We want to walk with Holy Spirit and we want to... Come on, say it again. So we're going to be hitting these four and we're just going to kind of go through them. And so a lot of the messages that we share will kind of be based off of one of these four. And so today... Uh, if you saw where I maybe put the emphasis, well, I spoke a lot more on the being with God just because it's foundational, but the emphasis being on love others. So today, love others, bringing life. So the way we kind of wrote this out is love others like Father has loved us radically and radically and Come on, that's how he's loved us. Now, some hard things have happened to each one of us. Every person in this room has been hurt. Every person in this room has been betrayed. Every person in this room has been abandoned in some way, abused in some way, cheated out of something in some way. But he has never, ever, ever, left us or abandoned us in any way. So love others like Father has loved us radically and wholeheartedly. We want to be a people that bring life. Because that life that comes out of us isn't in our own strength, but it's a reflection of then the life that we get with God. Where do we get that life with God? Being with God. Huh? Who would have thought it? Okay, so as we go through this, questions to consider. Think about this as we kind of talk through this. Where does God want to bring life in you? This isn't just about us going out and giving life. Because again, it comes out of an overflow of the life that he pours into each one of us. So thinking through that, where is it where maybe you need his life to come in? It might be an area, something recently that's taken place that's just affecting you deeply. It might be something where you've actually not allowed him into that room of your heart. You have the door shut. You're embarrassed. How many of you guys have a room that when guests come over, you put everything in it, and um, if your hand doesn't go up, we're all going to be looking at you like, oh, you're one of those people. Your house is always perfect. Hmm. Okay, well... 
there's eight of us in our house and laundry's always an issue. We have eight separate laundry baskets. It gets washed, it gets brought up and somehow it never leaves the living room. We just, why have a dresser? And we can all just go out to the couches and find some clothes to wear for that day, get dressed there and, and go on with it. But when someone comes over, it's a problem. So we either re-carry it all back down into the basement or we stuff it in a room. We want to open up our heart and not have a room where we don't let God in. We want to let God into all areas of our life. So where does God want to bring life in you? Second, where does God want to bring life through you? So I believe that every single one of you, God is pouring life into you. Maybe not as frequently as you need it, but that's your choice. How frequently do you want God? That's my choice. How often do we want God to pour into us? We got to make that time. I also know that God is then using us to bring life to others. So, but the question is, where though within that, is there somewhere where maybe he's challenging you in this area, I want you to bring a little more life. In this area, you've been operating in your own strength or your own opinion or your own actions. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that, um, God, I just want to pray against distractions, pray against shame, pray against condemnation, pray against confusion, where we hear a word and the way we define the word versus the way the word's being said, it, it affects us and we can't hear anything else. Lord, that we would be open, not even just to hear every word that I say as if it's perfect. God, but right now, each one of us, me included, that our spirits would be open to hear what you want to say to us. You don't bring shame. You don't bring confusion. You don't bring condemnation. So God, we pray for your clarity. Lord, we pray for your life to be poured in. And God, that uh, we would leave here different women, different men than we came in as. God, we thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are going to read out of the book of John, chapter 8, verse through, uh, verses 1 through 11. This is um, a story where Jesus is out there, and uh, he gets pulled into a situation where someone is being accused of something, and the religious leaders are trying to trap him, trying to get him to, they always try to bring him into a situation like, what's he going to do here? Because if he goes this way, we can say, well, what about this? And if he goes this way, we can try to trap him there. Uh, cool thing about the big JC is he always knew what they were up to and he could always flank them and he went right down the radical middle and he didn't buy into this and he didn't buy into this. He came out with truth. And uh, so let's, we're going to read this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? 
They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus, Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Gets down, begins to write. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So I want to look at this from three different perspectives. Hers, theirs, and ours. I know it sounds like a TV show of a blended family, but that's not what we're going after. Her perspective. The darkness fell. This is an illustrated sermon. (laughs) Bam, right on cue. We got it. Her perspective. She was at the low point of her life. That's what that darkness represented. So we can look at this and we can say, uh, you know, like almost like her accusers did, I would never be caught in that situation. I'm so much better than that. Like all my study, all my devotion, that's not me. Here she is. She's caught in the low point of her life. And what do they do? They bring her out into a public place. They want to make an example The accusers, you know, again, just thinking they're much better than that, and there's no way they could do it. For us, though, many times I know for myself I can read the Bible. I've challenged myself over the last several years to not align with, like, the hero in the Bible. Any of you ever tried to challenge yourself to do that, where you're, you're the, the person struggling? You know, we're not always David. Sometimes I'm Absalom, and sometimes I'm Saul, Okay? You know, Cain and Abel, or, you know, uh, even, you know, say Noah building the ark. And I think, yeah, I'm going to be the righteous man that gets a crazy idea from God. The earth's never flooded, but I'm just going to believe it's going to happen. And I'm going to stand up against everyone else. No, I'm typically the other person yelling at the lone nut saying, what are you doing? So, but to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. In Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 28. Jesus is talking about this, this thing of adultery. And he's making a correlation. This is where this ties back into you and I. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman, but just to clarify for all of us, that is, anyone who looks at another person with lust has already committed adultery in their heart. I am that woman. Many of us in this room are that woman. You know, slander, gossip, judgment, over and over and over and over and over. 
in the Bible. Paul, just even in Paul's letters alone, the places where he had to write to a church and say, stop slandering each other. Stop judging each other. Stop gossiping about one another. Over and over, told not to do it. But it's alive in each one of us. We'll save that for a whole nother sermon message. It'll be a good one. So thinking through this, what is your low point? What is the thing that happened in your life that periodically it might flash into your mind and shame begins to enter? You might look back and it's just like, God, how? Like, I just, man, had I known? Why? Why did I bite the bait of that? We all have a low point, as she did. But to think through, how did God treat you? So when we look at, again, at verse 1 through 3, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, but they put her in front of the crowd. Imagine that's you and that's me. Think of your low point. Think of different things. Not to dwell on, I'm not trying to remember, we're not doing condemnation here. But just thinking about that. and Thinking, how did Jesus react to you? How did he treat you? How did he even correct you? How did he speak to you? Now imagine... That's us. So the people say, teacher. They said to Jesus, this person, that being you, was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone them. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said again, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. They were looking at one act and saying, well, I haven't totally acted that out. Their heart had acted it out. Other other situations in their life had acted it out. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they all slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. You know, a lot of people have talked about that even with what's the symbolism of the oldest going. I, I will say, you know, what I've heard said a lot and from my own experience, what I believe is what I know for myself, the older I get, the less impressed I am in myself. And the more I look back at things that I thought I did amazingly and I thought I did that were righteous and I realized there was arrogance behind them, there was... Uh, uh, all sorts of things behind it. And I realized other areas where I thought I was strong, it was the grace of God keeping me. That there was nothing that prevented me from a certain situation other than the grace of God. And so the older left because they, they knew that. They had come to a place of maturity of who God was and who they were. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, 
neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 12, in the Lord's Prayer, this is where Jesus is teaching his disciples, hey, this is how you should approach the Father. Starts by saying where God is. He's in heaven, who he is. He's our Father. Starts by then going into, instead of right into my needs, into praising him. Hallowed be your name. Praise your name. Holy is your name. Worthy is your name. It gets our heart in the right place as we come into his presence. Later on, though, in verse 12, it says, Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who've wronged me. So this is Jesus teaching you and I how to pray. And he's saying that ask God to forgive you, but you don't just stop with God forgive me. You're actually then making a statement that I want you, Father, to forgive me of what I've done as to the same extent, to the same degree, in the same way, with the same attitude, as quick as I typically do, with the same everything as I do those who've wronged me. If you're like me, that's really hard because I'm not always quick to forgive. There is a chip in my brain that makes me very quick to judge. And you guys quick to come up with a determination of why something took place, what someone meant by something. Man, I've been shocked too. Maybe it's just I need glasses, but like I'll read a text from somebody and I'll see their name and I'm thinking of something from a previous conversation and I'll read it and my emotions just like just fire off. 30 minutes later, I go back and read it. They weren't saying anything that went through my head. And I'm like, what in the world is wrong with me? That'll be another sermon series too where we can talk about what's wrong with me. But we're called to forgive people we're, 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 we're asking God to forgive us as we've forgiven others. So this ties in. How does this tie into this? Because in the same way, we want God to respond to us when we are at our low point, when we are at our darkest hour, when we have been weak. I want to create the correlation that the way in which we want God to respond to us when we're messing up is the same way we should be reaching out to others in their time, in their low point. Not picking up the stone and saying, we're going to bring judgment here to this. It's time to call this person on the carpet. It's time to... But we show the same love, the same affection that God has shown each one of us. Love others like the Father has loved us radically and wholeheartedly. How? Radically and wholeheartedly. How has Father loved you? When you're going through something, you do something stupid. Anybody here ever been stupid? Come on. How does he approach you? What is his action? That's like his stance. That's his opinion. You go on social media, everybody is a professional at their own stance, at their own opinion, at their action. But if we follow Jesus' example, it goes beyond just this, that, that, that action, that stance, that opinion, and it goes into what's the motive behind what I'm saying? 
Why am I saying it? Am I saying it to bring judgment? Am I saying it to bring unity? Am I trying to push people away or am I trying to draw them in? Am I trying to prove how right I am and how wrong you are? Or am I trying to bring us into a place of unity? What's the tone that I say it in? Um, you guys don't really know this, but my voice is kind of loud. And um, God blessed me with a lot of hair in my eyebrows, not so much on the top of my head. And so when I'm just thinking, I look really, really mad. And um, so there's many times like where I'll be home and I'll just be contemplating about something. I just look ticked off. And I, had a, I have some kids that don't really mind it. I have other kids that, I mean, I just walk in the room and sit down and say I want to talk to them. I'm just focusing. And, I mean, they start crying right there on the spot. You look terrible. What did I, you know, and I had to learn. Or I'm just trying to get my point across. So I'm just, you know, very clear with my words. And there's an element of intensity. I want to make sure they can actually hear me over the other thoughts going through their head. And, uh, but our tone matters. Man, if Tamar and I want to get on the same page where we're not on the same page, tone and body language matter. It matters also when we're talking to others. So what's the action? We all have our actions. But we got to start checking our motive. And we got to start checking our tone. You know, most of us, a lot of times with our actions, we think we're standing up for God, holiness, and righteousness. But so did the Pharisees. They always believed that's what they were doing. The action maybe had, a, was, had some truth in it. What they said maybe had some truth in it. They quoted scripture, but their motive wasn't to unify. Their tone wasn't redemptive. There was a religiosity about it. So when, when Jesus engaged others, he always brought life in his motive and his tone. We see that here in John 8, 10 through 11, where he looks at her, and he's like, where are they? She said, they're not here. He's like, I'm not judging you either. Now, did he just say, go on living however you want? Be wild, be free. No, he called her to a place of accountability. He sent her in a direction, but she was sent in love. Each one of us is more willing to turn the ship of our life when we're being called by love than when we're being beaten down with condemnation. So his motive was unity, that you would be united with Father. He came to this earth for that very, that reason alone, that you and I could be united with God, that our mistakes wouldn't keep us at a distance. His motive was redemption, that you would come home. Man, you've been out there. Come home. That's what he was saying to this woman. I want you to come home. His motive is identity, that we would realize who he says we are. Most of the time, our mistakes are because we're walking away from who he says we are, and we're walking into who we think we are or what we think we should be or whatever it is, there's confusion. His motive is purpose, 
that you and I would walk out what he has called us to and then begin to share that same experience that we encountered with God with others. So that's me expressing that to my wife. That's me expressing that to my kids. That's me expressing that to my coworkers. That's me expressing that to my neighbors. That's me expressing that to my classmates. Uh, Just whoever it is that we're around, that we begin to show that same thing. He always brought correction, and he did. He corrected her. He gave her direction, but he did it with love. Why? Because it's who he is. Man, that's why we got these big signs. I know they're subtle, and you've maybe never seen them before, but I just want to bring your attention to some of them. It's who he is. Therefore, he has to act in that way, and he does. God is mercy. He's merciful. He didn't just write a book about mercy. He didn't just do a study on the word mercy. He doesn't just have a poster about mercy in his bathroom. He is mercy. God is good. As we a lot of times say, all the time. Just a, if you're new to church, that's just called a spiritual religious chant. We do them every now and then. Little slogan, little club saying, password. God is redeemer. That's who he is. That means when you're going through something, he wants to redeem you back. Have you ever tried to redeem something? There's a restaurant in town, too, that I have gift cards to, and I'm really frustrated because they just changed their computer systems, and you, I can't redeem my gift card. God wants to redeem you and I, and he wants to pull us back in. But remember, in the same way in the Lord's Prayer, forgive me as I have forgiven others. Lord, redeem me as I lead others to your redemption. God, be merciful to me as I am merciful to others. He is truth. God is with us. God is love. God is our healer. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, God is our healer. God is peace. He's not a peacekeeper. He is a peacemaker. He brings peace into every situation. God is faithful. God is holy. Giving life isn't just one choice. It's something we have to do over and over. So it's what we do, saying that almost like our action. It's why we do it. It's our motive. And it's how we do it, our tone. We got to think of those three and reflect what Jesus does. As we do to these, so we've done to him. Matthew 25, 35 through 40 says, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, 
When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? This is a, a, a bronze statue in New York City in front of a church. And it's Jesus, hence the hole in the palm of his hand, sitting out and being a, being a beggar, just sitting, not recognized there, has this verse written above it. There's a, around this church, are a whole bunch of things where they outreach people that have been disenfranchised, have been rejected by society. And it's powerful. Because Jesus is saying, just like forgiveness, that as we do, not to when we see Jesus sitting on the side of the road and say, oh, he's worthy, I'm going to go and I'm going to give, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to bless, I'm going to take care of. What he's saying is, as you show to others that you don't think are worthy, that you don't think are justified, that you don't think are, are worth your time or worth your finance or, or whatever it is, as you love on them, as you give life to them, so you are giving life to me. So if we want to bring life, if we want to fully receive the gift of life that God gives us, and then we want to give it honor and reflect it, it goes to everyone. And we reflect it in the same way that Jesus has shown it to us. And in the same way that he showed it to this woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Can you imagine being her? Being at the low point in your life, who knows what led to it? You know, everybody has a backstory. What goes on in childhood, home environments, who knows what led to that moment. Here she is, she's caught in this moment, pulled out, humiliated in front of, let's just say, hundreds of people. Being condemned and tried right there on the spot. The other individuals not pulled into the situation, just her. So my mom always told me it takes two to tango. This one person, you're the one person that's being called out. They're judging you. They're humiliating you right there in the act. Jesus says something. They leave you. You begin to look your head up and realize that there's no one around. No one's holding a stone anymore. You're thinking, ah, but what is he going to say? He hits you with love. And then, yes, he challenges you to go live righteous. But it's birthed out of love. You and I don't walk in here righteous. We don't walk in here holy. We don't walk in here perfect. We walk in with a lot of garbage, a lot of mistakes. But man, why we can sing what a glorious day why we can sing how great you are is because his love is poured out for each one of us to receive. So let's, the challenge is, let's go and be a people that share that same love. To love others like the Father has loved us radically and wholeheartedly. To bring life.
So where does God want to bring life in you? Where is it where you're still down on your knees and people are accusing you? They still got stones in their hand and he's coming and he's saying, I'm releasing them. And I want to come and bring life into your situation right now. And from that, where does God want to bring life through you to others? Here's the deal. Typically, it's the people that we don't want to bring life to. It's when we're too busy, when we don't have enough money, when we don't feel like it, when we don't think they're worthy. It's all of that. And that's where he wants to show himself strong. He wants to show his love. He wants to show his compassion in each one of us. Will you stand? You know, today, some some churches will do this today. Some will do it next, uh, next Sunday. Sanctity of life. Sunday. It's a day to pray for the sanctity of human life. Tomorrow is uh, for many of the kids in here and some of you based off of where you work is a holiday Martin Luther King Jr. Day today where we reflect on just the issue of racism you know racism really comes down to an us and them mentality really comes down to you're different than me and so therefore I'm going to push you away and I'm going to judge you and I'm going to treat you as less than me because there's a difference between you and I That can be off of language, that can be off skin color, that can be off of culture, that can be off of belief systems, that can be off of actions, that can be off of food taste, it it can be off of vaccinated, unvaccinated, homeschool, public school, private school, uh, battery operated car versus gasoline car versus, oh, heaven forbid, diesel car. It could be off of size of your home, you know, it could be the way you spend your money. We have these things and it creates division. But if we really want to be a people that bring life, we don't see in us versus them. Because when we see them, we see the picture of Jesus sitting there with his hands out. We don't see someone different than us. We see Jesus inside of them. Because that them is the very person that God is calling you to embrace into love. And say, you know what? You're worthy. I don't agree with everything you do. I don't agree with everything you say and everything you post. I don't agree with all your bumper stickers and the flags waving. But you are worthy because you are a daughter, you are a son. And if we really want to bring life, man, you know, the the, the, the subject of sanctity of human life, it brings shame on some. It brings condemnation on others. It rises up anger in others. It's divisive. If we want to bring life, then let's be givers of life. We can't say we stand for life, but then we spew hate. The Bible says that out of what we say is what's going on in our heart. What we say and how we do it, that's our motive and that's our tone. Father, I just want to ask that you would help us as a church to be bearers of light and to bring life into all situations that we come into. Lord, that you would help us. We pray against the the, the, the whole thing of racism in the world. Lord, and we ask for change. But Lord, what, what we really can control is us, me. 
I ask that you would change me. Help me not to see them. Help me to see you. Help me to treat everyone in the way that you treat me. God, I ask that life from the youngest to the oldest would be respected and honored and valued and cared for. God, there's always the, well, what about in this situation in this? Lord, we can never get down to those nitty gritties and figure it out. But what we can do is trust in you and know who you are and what your character is. So change us, Lord. Help us to go the extra distance. Help us not to just to have an opinion, but to have a motive and to have a tone. In Jesus' name. You know, I want to honor the Browns, Andrew and Jamie. They've started doing foster care. If we really want to believe in life, it's not just about a protest and it's not just about a petition. It's in what are we going to do to get involved in the situation when it changes. There's someone, tomorrow and I were just on the phone on Friday with someone who's giving $20,000 to City Harvest for the sake of helping moms who choose to keep their babies but don't have the means to. We're going to be doing a matching fund thing. And we will begin to give that money out as others give it in and as we find situations to do that. We need to be people that get into the foster care system. We need to be people that get into to walking then with these people when they make a certain choice. Many times it's not about whether or not they respect life. It has to do with life or death in their mind of, I don't know how I can do this. So let's not just give them a, 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 a stance. But let's link arms with them and say, you're right, this is going to be hard. And I'm not judging you for what got you into this situation. I'm going to walk with you. You want to know why? Because Jesus walked with me. He cared for me. We got to put action into it.